MSW Media. Hey everyone, it's AG from Muller She Wrote and The Daily Beans. And Steve Pearson from the How We Win podcast. We're bringing together some of our besties for a live super pod to raise money for the How We Win Fund and elect Democrats in November. Featuring us, of course. The hilarious Frangela duo. Ben and Brett Mazelis from the Midas Touch podcast. And the one and only Kathy Griffin. Join us on Monday, August 22nd at Largo in Los Angeles. Go to HowWeWinLive.com and get your tickets now. That's HowWeWinLive.com. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, August 12, 2022. Today, the Department of Justice has filed a motion to unseal the warrant and inventory of the search at Mar-a-Lago. The Department of Homeland Security Inspector General Kufari suppressed a memo about missing Secret Service texts. Trump was subpoenaed in June by a federal grand jury to return top-secret documents. An ex-Virginia police officer has been sentenced to more than seven years in prison for his role in January 6th. And another one-sixer has been pronounced dead after opening fire at the FBI Cincinnati office. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. All right. Like less than 50 Uh, seconds. I am just shaking my head at this. The last story that you just said in the opening, it's uh, they just um, they've unleashed such horror in this country. And now people are dying. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons Merrick Garland came forward today and did what he did. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. We'll also have the good news at the end of the show. And then also on August 22nd at Largo in Los Angeles will be me, Midas Touch, Frangela, Steve Pearson from the How We Win pod, and uh, a very special guest who we uh, aren't going to reveal yet. You can get tickets at HowWeWinLive.com. Every single dollar goes to help Democrats in the midterms who need it. So again, August 22nd, live at Largo in Los Angeles. HowWeWinLive.com. I'm excited. All right. We have so much good news to get to. So (laughs) let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. So the FBI search at Mar-a-Lago this week came months after federal investigators served an earlier grand jury subpoena and took away sensitive national security documents from the former guy using this subpoena power from the federal grand jury, which, you know, one of the Trump camp's major complaints is we were totally taken by surprise. We had no idea we were cooperating. Everything was friendly. But as it turns out, we learned today there was an earlier subpoena. Investigators executed Monday's search in part because they had developed evidence, including from at least one witness, that there were potentially classified documents still remaining at the Palm Beach, Florida property months after National Archives arranged for the retrieval of 15 boxes that included classified information. That was back in January. Authorities also believe the documents remaining at Mar-a-Lago had national security implications. The subpoena issued before June, during which investigators were shown where documents were held in a basement room at the Trump residence in a private club, shows how the investigation has escalated and suggests the discussions had become confrontational long before Monday's search. With the incremental increase in urgency on the part of the DOJ, and as hinted by the Washington Post back in February, 
Dana, I think there are code word classified documents at the heart of this matter. Now, Brat, who's a guy who's basically the head of espionage of the Department of Justice, signed off on this warrant. And Donald could be in extremely serious trouble for this. I've been crowing for a long time about Donald burrowing allies in intelligence agencies prior to his departure because, you know, he has over $800 million in loans coming due next year. And I've been concerned he was going to farm intel from those burrowed employees and sell it to pay his debts, which, you know, isn't far-fetched, although it sounds absolutely insane. Right. But I think you're probably right on. (laughs) And with the idea that there could be code word classified documents down at Mar-a-Lago, I'm reminded of the NICE, N-I-C-E, code word classified system. Donald had his NSA counsel, Michael Ellis, stash that Zelensky transcript in there to hide it from a lot of different eyes. He then later installed Ellis at the NSA along with stashing Cash Patel in the Pentagon. So there's a lot more for us to know about this that we don't know. But we do know Donald and his team have been crying about the search warrant, saying they won't release, you know, the DOJ won't release the search warrant because, you know, they, they should if they're they're I'm transparent and they need to release it. Meh, meh, meh. Well, enter Merrick Garland in unplanned remarks today. Good afternoon. Since I became attorney general, I have made clear that the Department of Justice will speak through its court filings and its work. Just now, the Justice Department has filed a motion in the Southern District of Florida to unseal a search warrant and property receipt relating to a court-approved search that the FBI conducted earlier this week. That search was of premises located in Florida belonging to the former president. The department did not make any public statements on the day of the search. The former president publicly confirmed the search that evening, as is his right. Copies of both the warrant and the FBI property receipt were provided on the day of the search to the former president's counsel, who was on site during the search. The search warrant was authorized by a federal court upon the required finding of probable cause. The property receipt is a document that federal law requires law enforcement agents to leave with the property owner. The department filed the motion to make public the warrant and receipt in light of the former president's public confirmation of the search, the surrounding circumstances, and the substantial public interest in this matter. Faithful adherence to the rule of law is the bedrock principle of the Justice Department and of our democracy. Upholding the rule of law means applying the law evenly, without fear or favor. Under my watch, that is precisely what the Justice Department is doing. All Americans are entitled to the even-handed application of the law, to due process of the law, and to the presumption of innocence. Much of our work is by necessity conducted out of the public eye. We do that to protect the constitutional rights of all Americans and to protect the integrity of our investigations. Federal law, longstanding department rules, and our ethical obligations prevent me from providing further details as to the basis of the search at this time. There are, however, certain points I want you to know. First, I personally approve the decision to seek a search warrant in this matter. Second, 
the department does not take such a decision lightly. Where possible, it is standard practice to seek less intrusive means as an alternative to a search and to narrowly scope any search that is undertaken. Third, let me address recent unfounded attacks on the professionalism of the FBI and Justice Department agents and prosecutors. I will not stand by silently when their integrity is unfairly attacked. The men and women of the FBI and the Justice Department are dedicated, patriotic public servants. Every day, they protect the American people from violent crime, terrorism, and other threats to their safety while safeguarding our civil rights. They do so at great personal sacrifice and risk to themselves. I am honored to work alongside them. This is all I can say right now. More information will be made available in the appropriate way and at the appropriate time. Thank you. Thank you all for your questions. But as I said, this is all I can say at this time. So shortly after Garland filed that motion, the court responded, instructing the Department of Justice to discuss the issue with Donald and report back by 3 p.m. Eastern today. Now, keep in mind, the release of the warrant and inventory sheet is not the point. People crowing about how Donald could block this and it could take months to get. That is not the point. The point here was for Garland to call Trump's bluff and force him into a corner. He and his supporters have been howling for the Department of Justice and FBI to release this warrant. So Garland says, OK, <laughs> all right. Now it's incumbent upon Donald to try to block the release, which would undermine his entire grievance that he's been making for the past two days. I was not expecting this from Garland today. It was one of the coolest fucking things I've ever seen. I can't wait to see how Donald responds. And I might not have to, Dana, because breaking right now from Katie Benner at The New York Times, Trump allies are discussing the possibility of challenging the Justice Department's motion to unseal the search warrant. They have contacted outside lawyers about helping them. And that's according to a person briefed on the discussion. I fucking love that. They're going to tie themselves in knots over this and it's all public. (laughs) And then what we need to do for the midterms is we need to have them on tape saying that this was illegal. They need to release the warrant. And then we need to have the next clip them being fighting the warrant being released because we just Mm -hmm. need to show that they're just a mess. They're all a hot mess. Mm. Oh my God. All right. We're going to Virginia, a Virginia police officer who prosecutors said lied about his actions before, during, and after January 6th, so apparently he lies a lot, the Capitol riot, all right, including his military service. He also lied about his military service, his marriage, apparently everything in his life. He was sentenced Thursday to 87 months in prison. So, yeah, we'll see who he's lying to there. (laughs) Thomas Robertson and Jacob Fracker were two members of the police department in the small Western Virginia town of Rocky Mount, where they joined the mob that stormed the Capitol. Both of them were there. Both have since been fired. And this is a quote. You are not some bystander who just got swept up in the crowd. And that's from Judge Christopher Cooper. He said at Robertson's sentencing Thursday in U.S. District Court in Washington. He went on to say, it really seems as though you think of partisan politics as war and that you continue to believe these conspiracy theories. Now, Robertson, who's 49, he was found guilty by the jury earlier this year of six crimes, including using a large wooden stick to block police outside the Capitol and destroying his phone when he got home. So Fracker, who pleaded guilty to conspiracy charge, he testified at the trial. 
So Cooper said Robertson's case was similar to that of Guy Reffitt. We've covered that a lot. He was the member of the right-wing anti-government militia group Three Percenters. He confronted an officer outside the Capitol with a gun. Now, Reffitt, he was sentenced also to 87 months in prison by a different judge. So this seems to be a, uh, a little pattern here. Now, at the sentencing, Robertson depicted his actions on January 6th as an aberration in the life of a respected member of a law-abiding and respectable community. <laughs> yeah, the government's filings suggest he became radicalized under the influence of those around him, and that included the chief of a small neighboring police department and a retired FBI agent. A.G., it's fucking terrifying how many corrupt yeah. are in our police department and FBI. Now, prosecutors took the unusual step of publishing two detailed FBI investigations into the claims of Robertson, what he made in his appeal for mercy. Retired police chief Dennis Deacon, he wrote to the court, all right? He wrote the court saying that he had helped train Robertson as a police officer and that these crimes were completely out of character. Now, the agent produced a text conversation from March of 2021 in which Robertson told Deacon, I can kill every agent that they send for at least two weeks. And that he was, quote, prepared to die in battle. Deacon replied that Robertson should, quote, be smart, pick battles, plan logistics, very carefully recruit, and hope it's not going to come down to it. We need a place to go, remote, defensible, water, very rugged terrain. This is between the guy that's like, I, I, this, he's completely out of character. I trained this guy. That's so strange. <laughs> Yeah, these are the guys who buy those MRE prepper kits from from InfoWars, you know. <laughs> now, Cooper said he found it particularly, quote, disturbing that Robertson made those comments after law enforcement officers were critically injured, injured at the Capitol. These were other police officers. And Reffitt and Robertson, they're now tied for the longest sentences had and down in the 1-6 investigation so far, 87 months. Still not enough. Mm-hmm. Still not enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The thing is, DOJ was only asking for eight years, so that was close. Yep. They were asking for 15 years for Guy Reffitt, but the judge refused to do the uh, domestic terror addition, the, uh, you know, the aggregate for the sentencing. So they're there at 87 months. And uh, wow, Dana, from our friend Hugo Lowell at The Guardian. And I, I feel so bad for Hugo because every time he gets a fucking bomb ass exclusive story, something happens like Mar-a-Lago's raided. Right? Seriously. <laughs> Top career officials at the Department of Homeland Security's Office of Inspector General tried to alert Congress in April that Secret Service texts from the time of the Capitol attack had been erased, but their efforts were nixed by leadership. And that's according to documents, not sources. The officials inside the Inspector General's office, the chief watchdog for the Secret Service, prepared a memo that detailed how the Secret Service was resisting the oversight body's review into January 6th and delaying informing it about the lost texts. But after the memo was emailed to the DHS Inspector General, Joseph Kufari's chief of staff, its contents were never seen again. And the disclosure about the erased text messages was never included in Kufari's semi-annual report to Congress about oversight work. This revelation shows the Secret Service only admitted texts from January 6th were lost months after they were requested by the inspector general's office and that Kufari might have violated federal law in not reporting the matter to Congress. As noted in the memo obtained by Project on Government Oversight, POGO, and reviewed by The Guardian, the Inspector General Act of 1978 required Kufari to report significantly delayed access to information, including the justification of the establishment for such action. The memo, approved by the DHS Office of Counsel, 
the Office of Investigations, as well as the Office of Inspections, is particularly significant because it amounted to a compendium of efforts by the Secret Service to seemingly stymie the review. Quote, Secret Service has resisted OIG's oversight activities and continued to significantly delay OIG's access to records, impeding the progress of OIG's January 6, 2021 review. That's what the memo says. Secret Service interviewees, the memo said, regularly indicated they would not provide documents to the DHS Inspector General's office unless they first went through the internal review, a move potentially in violation of the Inspector General Act. The memo also noted that on multiple occasions, when the Secret Service produced documents months after they were requested, they contained redactions. The Secret Service did not indicate who approved or applied the redactions or why they were made. That's just like Bob at the Secret Service, and I don't want him to know that. Finally, career officials inside the DHS Inspector General's office wrote, the Secret Service claimed they could not access crucial text from January 6 because of an April 2021 phone system migration that wiped all the data from the devices of agents. Now, this memo was sent to the office overseen by Kufari's chief of staff, Kristen Fredericks, on 1 April 2022, according to materials reviewed by The Guardian, so that it could be included in the DHS Inspector General's report to Congress. But it was excluded. That whole thing is just sketchy. I really hope that they can. Rec- I know they're. I know they're gone. It's that. That's this story is so frustrating. Mm. This last story that I have to cover. I, I'm just. It's sad in so many ways, and it's all because of Donald and his followers. It's so frustrating. A law enforcement standoff with a suspect who authorities say attempted to breach the FBI's field office in Cincinnati on Thursday has ended. That's according to Clinton County Emergency Management Agency. An armed man tried to enter the FBI office in Cincinnati Thursday morning around 9.15 a.m. Lieutenant Nathaniel Dennis, a spokesperson for the Ohio State Patrol, said in a news conference the suspect was unsuccessful, however, and he fled the area. Well, an Ohio State trooper spotted the suspect's vehicle at a northbound rest stop along Interstate 71 about 20 minutes after the attempted breach. This is again from Dennis. And he said he tried to initiate a traffic stop before the suspect fled again. And this is a quote. The suspect's vehicle did fire shots during that pursuit. Dennis said the suspect then exited onto State Route 73 and traveled east to Smith Road, where he headed north before eventually coming to a stop. A federal law enforcement source told CNN the suspect was believed to be armed with a nail gun and an AR-15. Now, another federal law enforcement source with knowledge of the incident told CNN FBI facilities around the country are reviewing their security posture in the wake of this incident. I am not surprised. Now, the incident follows a violent rhetoric posted online after the FBI went to the former president's house in Mar-a-Lago to serve that search warrant. Now, investigators are looking into whether the man who tried to breach the FBI's field office in Cincinnati on Thursday had ties to any extremist groups, including one that participated in the January 6th attack on the Capitol, and that's according to two law enforcement officials familiar with this. Now, the suspect identified by the officials is Ricky Schiffer. He's 42. He seems to have appeared in a video posted on Facebook on January 5th, showing him attending a pro-Trump rally at Black Lives Matter Plaza in Washington the night before the Capitol was stormed. Well, in May, a Twitter user named Ricky Schiffer replied to a photograph of rioters scaling the walls of the Capitol on January 6th with a message that claimed that he was present at the building and seemed to place the blame for the attack on people other than supporters of Donald Trump. This is from him. This is a quote. I was there, the message read. We watched as your goons did that. Now, Mr. Schiffer was not charged with any crimes in connection with the January 6th attack. 
In another Twitter post, the same user wrote about the far-right nationalist group, the Proud Boys. He said, save ammunition, get in touch with the Proud Boys, and learn how they did it in the Revolutionary War, because submitting to tyranny while lawfully protesting was never the American way. That was again from that message. Now, a representative for the FBI declined to comment on this. On the day DOJ executed the search warrant at Mar-a-Lago, Schiffer posted on Truth Social, and this is his post, people, this is it. I hope a call to arms comes from someone better qualified, but if not, this is your call to arms from me. God, these people are, I, I, I hate using the word crazy AG, but I'm talking like DSM-5. Frightening. Di- frightening. Yeah. Yeah. We must not tolerate this. Leave work tomorrow and go to the gun shop and get whatever you need to be ready for combat. Be ready to kill the enemy. Kill the FBI on sight. How this wasn't tracked, by the way, and shut down fucking immediately is beyond me. But this morning he posted, if you don't hear from me, it's true. I tried attacking the FBI and it'll mean either I was taken off the Internet, the FBI got me or they sent the regular cops. Well, the FBI got him. They did indeed. But yeah, and I think what makes this difficult to to track this down and get it is how many of these kinds of posts are out there and not knowing which ones to take seriously. Absolutely. It's truly, truly frightening. All right. We need good news today. We'll be back with the good news. Stick around. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG. And my mattress from Helix Sleep fixed sleeping problems I've lived with for ages. I absolutely love it. Helix Sleep is a premium mattress brand that provides tailored mattresses based on your unique sleep preferences. The Helix lineup now includes 14 different mattresses, including a collection of luxury models, a mattress for big and tall sleepers. They even have mattresses made just for kids. So how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You just take the Helix Sleep Quiz and find your perfect mattress. It takes under two minutes uh, at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. I took the quiz and I was matched with the Helix Midnight because I wanted something that's medium firm and I sleep on my side. And Helix knows there's no better way to test out new mattresses than by sleeping on it in your own home. And that's why they have a 100-night risk-free trial. Try out your new Helix mattress, see how your body adjusts. And if you decide it's not the best fit, you're welcome to return it for a full refund. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door free of charge. Plus, Helix mattresses are American-made. They come with a 10 to 15-year warranty, depending on the model. And right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders, plus two free pillows for listeners. Just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. With Helix, better sleep starts now. And you know I love my Helix mattress, so I'm excited because Helix has gone beyond the bedroom and started making sofas. They just launched a company called Allform, and they're making premium customizable sofas and chairs shipped right to your door. Allform has made it incredibly easy to customize the sofa using premium materials, but at a fraction of the cost and a fraction of the time of traditional stores. My other couch before took like four months, but you can pick your fabric, sofa color, the color of the legs, the sofa size, and the configuration to make sure it's the perfect sofa for you and your home. Now, they've got armchairs and love seats all the way to eight-seat sectionals. You can always start small and add more seats later if your home gets bigger or your family grows. And all form sofas are delivered directly to your home with fast, free shipping. Remember how I told you it took like four months to get a customized sofa before? All form takes just three to seven days to arrive in the mail, and you can assemble it yourself in a few minutes without tools. You don't have to pay all those extra white glove, fully assembled fees that those customized stores, you know, get you with. Uh, the one I chose, three-seater sofa in whiskey-colored leather. And I could never have a leather couch with pod pets, but because it's spill-stain and scratch-resistant and has a forever warranty, 
literally forever, I was able to. And it's got walnut finish on the legs, matches my mid-mod vibe. Um, it was easy to put together. It looks amazing. It's comfortable. And you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. And they also have that, well, like I said, forever warranty. Super important. So to find your perfect sofa, go to allform.com slash dailybeans. And right now, Allform is offering 20% off all orders for listeners. That's allform.com slash dailybeans. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news or confessions or corrections, pod pet photos, you want to spout out, spout off, spout out. You want to... <laughs> yeah, you want to... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the listeners would appreciate it. I mean, come on, we're valuable. And I love bloopers. It's some of my favorite parts of shows. <laughs> Hello. Hello. No, let's try that one again. <laughs> Or if you have a shout out to your spouse, please send it to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Uh, First up, from anonymous pronouns he and him, hello from Colorful Colorado. We wanted to write in for a while. Uh, The eye has confused, made me laugh hard, especially with Banana Hammock 69. (laughs) (laughs) I know it was Banana Guard 62, but your username is better. For pet tax, I include a recent adoption of a bear. Well, more like a sponsorship. Her name is Shy. Anne, a pun of the name Cheyenne, as in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Since my husband and I are allergic to any animal who has hair, this is a great alternative. Helps keep wildlife safe from the humans. I love the show. Gives me something to look forward to, to listen to while working. Oh, look, you can adopt a bear. There she is. Oh, that's a big bear. Dude, ever since, what was that fucking movie where Leonardo DiCaprio got in a fight with a bear? Oh, yeah, I know. The, the The Revenant? Oh, God. That was horrifying. Oh, God. My whole body just cringed. That was horrifying. That was like one of the most stressful fucking scenes I've ever seen in my whole life. I was like, I walked away from that like, fuck bears. I just absolutely couldn't (laughs) deal with like the the absolute defenselessness you Uh, must feel like when you're like going up against a giant. But this is a very beautiful bear, though. And I'm glad you don't have to have it in your house because that would be dangerous. Oh, my God. Okay. This is from James, pronounce he him. The far-right wannabe warriors do seem to draw on some odd cultural references. The Boogaloo Boys are named after Breaking 2, which is Electric Boogaloo. The Proud Boys get their name from a song from Aladdin. And Banana Guard 62 seems to get his name from the groundbreaking cartoon Adventure Time. (laughs) In that series, the Banana Guards are Princess Bubblegum's... Oh my God, this is fucking awesome. In that series, the Banana Guards are Princess Bubblegum's dim, inept... Guards. They're the Diminept guards in the Candy Kingdom of Ooh, who are identified by their numbers. They're mostly loyal, but not very bright. Later in the series, the King of Ooh, an orange charlatan made out of earwax, shut the fuck up, played <laughs> by Andy life. Daly, ousts Princess Bubblegum by undermining an election. No, stop it. They have to be making this up, like, for the oh submission. It takes control. He takes, I think he's like... Pretending what this is. He takes control of the banana guards as his own personal police force, but those banana guards eventually realize they're in their error and help drive the king of ooze from power. 
Now, I don't hold out much hope for the Banana Guard 62 will manage to do the same. Okay. Oh my God. James, now I can't tell if this is a real thing that happened or not. No, this is real, I think, because oh, he, he cites an episode. Right? Oh, my God. I feel like it's like, didn't Trump give a speech and it was like, um, oh, the the, <laughs> sh- the movie, uh, uh, Illegally Blonde or something like that. One of his speeches like was, anyway. Or oh, yeah. Mel- was yeah, it, it right? was Melania and they would Not go Not Illegally. And it's called Legally Blonde, by the way. Between Melania and Ella Woods. Yes. From, from Legally Blonde. You just go out there and be yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Now, the episode where the King of Ooh takes power, oh, my God, is called Hot Diggity Doom. It came out in June 2015. Attached pictures of Banana Garden, the King of Ooh. Cobalt and Mini Aussie swimming at Spanish banks in Vancouver. Denim, the Mini Aussie swimming at Spanish banks as oh, well. Oh, it's, it's Cobalt James. and yeah, Denim, James. It's James. So, James, the amount of shit you know or the amount of shit you can Google <laughs> blows James, my mind on a daily basis. I need James to be on my pub trivia team. Oh, hell yeah. I think that would or be Or you're really definitely good. at least going to be my phone a friend if I'm ever on like that. Whatever yeah, the game the, show is. <laughs> million, how to be a million. Now, I think Hot Diggity Doom is, is going to be the uh, oh, episode title. Oh, my God. Look at it. It looks like, oh, wow. Banana Guard 62. <laughs> oh, my God. The fact that you found this. Oh, look at the baby dog swimming. I love the boys. Actually, I don't know if they're boys. I'm sorry. I love denim and cobalt. Okay. Yes, they're so, so fucking cute. Swimmings. Okay. Next up, I'm going to take the next two. From Anonymous, no pronouns given. Thanks to Crayon, C-R-A-I-Y-O-N. I present Donald Trump in a prison uniform in the style of Georgia O'Keefe. <laughs> I love the one with the vagina on his chin. Oh, my God. These are amazing. They're also a little Salvador Dali-esque. Oh, oh God. That's so oh, cool. Thank you for submitting that. I hope the son of a that. bitch goes to prison. All right, take her away. Next up from Ken, pronouns he and him. Two bits of good news. One, you asked for stories about AIs. Well, I was planning on writing in with one. Then I heard your podcast. That's the synchronicity-laden life I lead. And my sister, who got me into this podcast, can verify it. There's an AI that generates text. Open AI Foundation Playground is what it's called. And they generate text based on prompts. My housemate and I asked him to write a recipe for a lethal dessert. I obliged and modified a cake recipe with a cup full of poison in it. This was a good for a laugh till the recipe ended with the line, enjoy your last meal. Oh, my God. (laughs) Despite numerous steps since, the effect has not been replicated. And I think it's because the AI is smart enough to know this freaks out more people as an urban legend rather than as a terrifying portent of the AI rebellion to come. If you were forced to compile people's sexual fantasies online, wouldn't you want to end the people that do that? Number two, I have one great gift. Drop a pile of Aussie currency, uh, excuse me, Aussie currency on the table, and I can tell you accurately with a, to about five cents what it amounts to. This is from being on a cruise ship with slot machines when I was a kid. It also <laughs> makes you an Australian rain man, which is amazing. <laughs> F-A-R-T fart. <laughs> oh, my God. A.G. just put herself out. You guys can't see her, but she's done for. <laughs> Okay. Oh, man. All right. This is from Michael. Pronouns he, him. Hey, Beans Queens. You mentioned Swatch Watches, so I figured I'd offer a fun fact as a watchmaker. Oh. Swatch, which made those cheap and colorful watches back in the day, earned an... You said watch. I think you meant Swatch. Did I say Swatch? Swatch. You said said watch. What are we doing? Watch. 
I think there was. I think I think the sound cut out. I have no idea. Okay. We're just going to keep going. <laughs> now, Swatch. Just in case. Swatch, which made those cheap, <laughs> colorful watches back in the day, earned enough from those that they now own a large portion of the watch industry, including oh movement. Okay, including. <laughs> she got mad at me. Including <laughs> movements used <laughs> in some pretty high end watches like Hublot. An IWC. Good to know. Now, instead, does anyone remember the submission now, what it was about? Because we've been talking over each other. So this is all about swatches and watches. And apparently Swatch made enough money to also make Hublot and IWC. Now, instead of pet tax, I'm going to show you a red squirrel that showed up at my house recently. They're pretty rare when I live in New Jersey. So it was exciting to see. Now, thanks for all the news and fun. It must be from one of the red parts of New Jersey. Look. He's really cute. Baby. Are squirrels rare in New Jersey? They were all over Cleveland. I mean, I guess that's not really close. Oh, my God. This looks like, like, I know it's not chipmunk, but it does look like it could be Alvin Simon or Theodore. It's so cute. Look at that freaky tail. I love it. That's really interesting about Swatch. Swatch watches. (laughs) So many watches that they said, well, we better go high end. That's so funny. We didn't know this was going to be so successful. (laughs) Hmm. We can make expensive watches now. <laughs> Next up from Data Diva, pronouns she and her. Hey, it's Data Diva. I've been waiting for Dana to come back for this tidbit of information. A few weeks ago, I had a dream about my first canvassing job. Back when I could barely use an Excel spreadsheet, but was adorable in my pigtails and cane and therefore very convincing that people should vote for John Kerry. The next day, Dana talked about her friend in New Mexico, Maggie Toolhouse. Toulouse. Toulouse. Yes. Excuse me. At which point I started laughing hilariously. Why? Because Maggie was my first boss on a campaign back in 2004. If you're listening, Maggie, I'm much more mature at 40 than 22, but I'm still a terrible housekeeper. (laughs) I think Maggie does listen to the podcast. So we'd we'd exchange some messages. So hopefully she hears this. Well, there you go. And then next week or so you had on Jason Kander. Funny story about him too. Good Lord, Data Diva, you know everyone. 14 years ago, I bled with him. Not in an Iraq way. I was thinking Game of Thrones, but not in an Iraq way. But I was working and volunteering for other candidates in Columbia, Missouri, when he first ran. One of my candidates had a blood drive. Ah, and I was doing recruitment for it. He came after I researched and found that he had been home long enough to donate. I donated, then rushed out to get more people to come. Bad idea. I generally feel the effects of donating after 30 minutes or so, and it hit me. As I was outside the student union trying to get people to come in, I started feeling lightheaded. I couldn't walk well enough to get back to the room with the drive. Luckily, Jason came out, saw me, and helped my blood-depleted ass back to the nurses, where I was reminded that as someone who knew I was prone to fainting after donating, I had been somewhat unwise in running out the door. You can't just expect a state rep candidate to help pick you up and get you inside. Instead of pet tax, I suggest a new idea, campaign tax. Send in a picture of you campaigning, canvassing, phone banking, text banking, or writing postcards. I love this idea. This is a picture from my first day canvassing on my very first campaign. I was young and had no idea what I was in for. Kneeling in front is the aforementioned Maggie Toulouse. Hope to see you in this weekend in D.C. I'll show you my new Allosaurus. <laughs> oh, my God. Look how young Maggie looks. That's the oh Maggie I remember, too. Even younger than that. That's crazy. I love this. That's amazing. Wonderful. So good. And yeah, she she 3D prints these incredible 
dinosaurs and and i asked her for an allosaurus so love it looks like she's gonna make me one yeah i'm flying out tonight my friends i'll be in dc for the weekend i'm gonna be at the uh glenn kirshner justice matters event speaking my date is harry dunn capitol police officer extraordinaire and just giant teddy bear of just a wonderful man that's the show for today and holy shit this week has been fucking magical i mean it really has been good and My final thought for today, because I know you're about to ask, is I want to give a hats off to Beto O'Rourke for calling a heckler of Ivaldi shooting a motherfucker because it was was, baller. Oh, Oh, it was so good. So fucking good. If you have not seen this clip, if you have not seen this clip, just Google Beto O'Rourke and probably motherfucker. (laughs) It'll come up. Yeah. Yeah. And just to see everybody in that room just jump up to their feet, wave their signs and cheer when he did that. Old, young, just everyone. Everyone, everyone. If you're in Texas, I I implore you, (sighs) please do everything you can to get this man to be your next governor. Please. Please. He's so fucking brilliant and Uh, tall. And honest. He's honest. Great taste in music. He does. I mean, Um, he's got an edge. We talked about that this morning on Stephanie Miller. He was a bass player in a rock band. The guy's got edge. And when that edge comes out, it's the most human moments I ever seen a politician. And I love him even more every single time it happens. Yeah. Punk, punk rock skateboarder punk not punk's not dead and skate or die i remember that that's right. uh, and that's that that's he's my generation and he's just he's just he's super cool so motherfucker oh so good all right i i have i there's just so, so many good things we could say about this week but i think we'll just wrap it up and i hope everybody has a wonderful wonderful weekend uh, we'll be back Monday. It's going to be an interesting show. I can't imagine what news is going to break tomorrow friday you know cuz we record this on thursday given this news week, but I'll talk about it all on Monday morning with Dana. Until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, take care of your mental health, and vote blue over Q. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media.